Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of The Vegas Therapist. I am your host, Ryan Winder. And remember, what's happening in Vegas is not staying in Vegas, as I bring you helpful tips and all sorts of topic areas, with a Vegas twist of course. So let's get the show started. Welcome, welcome everybody. It's good to have you in for another episode of The Vegas Therapist. I have a great show for you today with an amazing guest. Dr. Benjamin Hardy will be with us to talk about his most recent book, Personality Isn't Permanent. But before I get to that, I just want to say thanks for all the emails and comments and just uh, good vibes about last week's episode with Pam Pam Hagee um, and her story. Um, Just lots of good feedback from that one. So thank you again, Pam, for coming on and sharing that story. I think if anything that I got from that and just some of the things that we've done in the past is just the importance of our, of sharing our story and how healing it can be for us as well as others as they hear those stories and gain inspiration for themselves and gain a greater sense of courage of even stepping outside their own comfort zones and maybe talking a little bit more about their own stories um, and being more willing to share them as a way of healing. So thanks again, Pam, for that. Um, one thing I just wanted to say too, um, in relation to Pam, I put out a kind of a teaser about the episode for this this coming week um, about my guest and and what the and what the topics we were going to cover were. And Pam actually commented on Instagram, and I think this was very pertinent pertinent um, as far as um, just what we're going to talk about. Um, she said, "This sounds awesome. It was huge for me when I learned my responses to trauma were just that responses." Not my personality, not who I was, and had to be now. Can't wait to listen. So thanks for that, Pam, as well. But I, I just want to say that, too. I think a lot of times with personality, that's why I think this is such a, an awesome episode, is just that we can get stuck in the mire of feeling like our personality is what it is, and there's no changing that. There's no way of, of altering that. And that's just not the case. And there's definitely things we can do, and there's things that maybe we've experienced or gone through that have impacted our personality and maybe give us that feeling like this is who we are. But as we'll talk about today and as we'll get into more details with, and if you also even just want to pick up the book, personality isn't permanent. um, You can do that as well. And we'll also some other things that we talk about in the episode about things that Dr. Hardy's doing um, things that you can be involved in and some free opportunities for that, um, that he has available to people. Uh, to help them with this process as well and a better understanding their personality and ways that they can change. So I think everybody will benefit again from this one and get lots out of it because I know, like I said, there's a lot of people that feel stuck in who they are and hopefully this will give them a sense of hope and a sense of inspiration that they can change and that things about their personality can change. And uh, yeah, this is going to be great. So let's get to the show. All right, at this time, I'd just like to welcome in my guest, Dr. Benjamin Hardy, who is a organizational psychologist, the best-selling author of Willpower Doesn't Work, and also his new book, Personality Isn't Permanent. Um, his blog read monthly by, is, is read monthly by millions and has been featured on Forbes, Fortune, CNBC, Cheddar, Big Think, and many others. From 2015 to 2018, 
He was the number one writer in the world on Medium and a regular contributor to Inc. and Psychology Today, which I'm a fan of, Psychology Today. He speaks and trains at a wide range of events. He and his wife, Lauren, adopted three children through their foster system in, in February 2018. And one month later, Lauren became pregnant with twins who were born in December of 2018. And he lives in Orlando and apparently is very busy with kids too. <laughs> I have kids so. and my wife's pregnant actually going to have a sixth in November little boy. Oh. So that'll probably be our last, but wow. Well, it's going to be a lot. Yes. Congratulations then. So, all right. Well, uh, definitely personalities and permanent, which is the new book. I'm really was excited to get a hold of and to read. Um, it's definitely stuff that's up my alley in terms of stuff I deal with on a day-to-day -day basis with clients. So why don't you just kind of, for our listeners out there, tell us a little bit about the book and kind of what went into it for you and kind of what was the, I guess, maybe inspiration behind it or, yeah. Yeah, I would say the book uh, definitely debunks from my perspective, a lot of the cultural perspectives of personality. And in my opinion, most of the mainstream perspectives of personality um, limit what I would call uh, a person's agency or ability to make decisions. Um, most views are very limiting and they, they remove people's perspective. They, they limit people's hope, honestly, and perspective that they can actually make choices. And so I wanted to prove with a lot of science and different perspectives that that isn't the case. Um, and so I, you know, I laid out my argument and then ultimately, you know, used a lot of, from my perspective, good understandings and science to show that actually we can choose who we become. And from my perspective, probably the most exciting aspect of the book, and I, I think it's where the entire field of positive psychology has gone. For so long, it was viewed that the past really was the ultimate um, predictor of a person's future um, mm -hmm. or their behavior. But I think that the understanding now is, is that actually a person's view of their future is the ultimate predictor of their present. Um, in psychology, we call that prospection. But I just, I think that, you know, our view of the future is the thing that's shaping who we are today. Obviously, episodes from the past can, obviously trauma being one, radically impact our view of our future. And so it's up to us what we do, um, including changing the environmental influences and things like that. But whatever view of our future that we have, that's the thing shaping our present. And so I just wanted to provide a book that showed people how to actually clarify the future that they wanted and use that as the driver for who they are. And it's, it's, it's exciting, personally. I, I, yeah. I, I yeah. love the concepts in the book. And, uh, you know, I, I, I believe it's very transformational for people who read it. Yeah, no, it's, 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 it's definitely a great read. Um, one of the things I was going to ask you, just a, something you said, too, about, um, like, I don't know specifically, do you, like, are you more kind of then in the research field? Do you work with actual clients or kind of like, I certainly don't work with clients. I'm not a therapist. Okay. No, uh, organizational psychology is not a therapy degree at all. Uh, I would be more in line with like, like a business consultant, to be fully honest okay. with you. Like I, my whole field of psychology is like training, development, motivation, leadership, um, right. you know, organizational culture. Like that's what organizational psychology is. And so I never actually went, I mean, um, obviously I study the deeper sides as well, which would be more on the therapeutic end, but mm -hmm. no, I, I'm not. I'm not a therapist. I don't see clients. Um, yeah. I'm just, I'm just seeking transformation myself and hopefully providing perspectives that anyone can use. And a lot of that takes me down the rabbit holes that are probably more relevant to your work. Right. Well, and I, I guess the reason I asked was not necessarily just about the idea of whether you see clients, but like um, the things that you're talking about, you know, kind of like that, cause that's definitely a big shift as far as like 
people thinking about how much their past impacts them to kind of more of this future self idea. So I just was curious more like, have you seen people kind of make those shifts? Is that as a part? I think this is cutting edge personally. I think that in psychology for the last hundred years, the emphasis has been on the past. Mm -hmm. Um, And obviously the past matters um, a lot, but my view is is that, you know, and a lot of it just comes from my views of, of memory and things like that and how it works. But, Mm-hmm. Yeah, my my thought, and it's really more of where the field of positive psychology is going. So um, Marty Seligman, who is kind of the founder of yeah. um, of that field, but him and yeah. Roy Baumeister, and Roy Baumeister is the one of the top psychologists in the world. He, he did all the work on willpower, which is pretty interesting work. Mm-hmm. But they recently came out with a book called Homo Prospectus. Um, and it's it's kind of the the, I guess you could say it's the textbook to reinvent psychology and i actually generally believe believe what they're saying and their belief is is that as human beings the thing that makes us conscious beings versus plants and animals you know the thing that separates us from those is our ability to imagine different futures and then to ultimately dictate our present based on the future that we assume and you know plants and animals don't really do that they just respond react and respond and so uh i just like the idea that it's really our view of our future that dictates who we are today Mm -hmm. Uh, and that it's up to all of us to, you know, and and when you have new experiences, I call them peak experiences, but whenever you have new experiences, your view of your future can change. Um, and, and when you obviously learn new knowledge, have new experiences, uh, heal old wounds, your hope and your views of the future become very, a lot more hopeful and powerful. And so it's kind of up to all of us to create the future we want, but whatever it is that the future it is that we see that's the thing driving who we are today. In philosophy, yeah. they call that teleology. So I just, I think that that view is a lot more honest. Um, I'm not saying that the past doesn't matter, but the, but um, I do think that whatever our view of the future is, and I think yeah. a problem with trauma is that it shatters your view of the future. Um, right. And even negative media, negative media with COVID-19 and stuff like that, all that stuff is to destroy hope in the future, which then right. limits your perspective in the present. Yeah, what can I actually accomplish in the future if it's so bleak or whatever type of thing, right? So, well, even like going back to something you originally talked about as far as like the personality side of it. I remember when I first read the book and it was kind of like just the intro stuff where you're talking about the different personality tests. I'm thinking, oh yeah, I use that one or I've used that one before. But like just in the, in the, in the mindset of kind of like that limiting thing. So like even just something as simple as like the color code or something like that to where people like do these little personality tests. But then in their mind, you know, okay, if I come out of blue or if I come out of white, then it's almost like, again, that's who I am. And there's no really changing that or working on that or doing something or that's what they can get stuck on. I think that was part of the point of that initial thing for you was like just that those things can be very limiting for us. And if we kind of go down that rabbit hole of like, oh, let me, you know, let me do this personality test and see what I am. And then I'm just kind of stuck there. I guess that's the mindset you're trying to shift a little bit to right with those kinds of things. I think, you know, aside from the big five, which uh-huh. I'm, I'm grateful does not categorize people. It just gives you a percentile rank, which is flexible. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think most personality tests are, are, first off, they're junk science. You know, right. they're not measuring personality, but yeah, they're very, they come from a really faulty perspective. Um, the perspective is, is that when you get the insight about who you are, you'll know who you've always been and who you'll always be. Um, I actually had an argument with, you know, online, it was a digital argument. She, it was with someone who was, one of the top Myers-Briggs associates. Uh, and 
because the research is now so clear that personality changes a lot over time, you know, all longitudinal research that studies people for like 50, 60 years, like there's changes even in you that are, you're not going to be able to predict in, mm. in five, 10, 20 years from now, you're going to, there's going to be changes in you that you're not going to be able to predict. Um, so the research now is so clear, but it goes against their core assumptions, which are that you're hardwired at birth. And so now they're saying, well, we know that personality changes, but your personality type does not, you know, you're, whatever personality type you are, that's the core essence of who you are. That doesn't change, even though your personality will change, which is really confusing. Um, and I just think the real point of the message is that there actually is no personality type. You know, that's a, that's, that's kind of just a very limiting view of people. Yeah. Uh, it, it, and so, yeah, I think that those tests really negatively, I think one of the biggest insights, um, that I hope to present in this book and just in general is, is that who you are today is not who you were in the past, even mm -hmm. a year, two years, five years ago, you were different and you would do things different if the current version of you was put in those former situations. And so you're not the same person as you were in the past. And you're also not going to be the same person in the future. And so one of the problems with those tests is, is that they try to make you believe that who you are right now is who you've always been. And then they stop you from seeing a different potential version of yourself in the future. Instead, you get a label, and then that leads you to being very non-flexible to anything outside of what that label has diagnosed you as. You know, you're, you now, you know, if you're an introvert, you're not going to be very flexible in social situations. And it just, it stunts your imagination and decision-making in the future. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I, I really like that. And I think the one thing that we've you touched on a little bit before too, when it comes to those things, so whether it's personality tests and something that you mentioned even about trauma. So in your, in the, in the book, the, there's a chapter, chapter three is on transforming your trauma, but there's a quote there by Bessel van Vanderkalk, which is um, being traumatized means continuing to organize your life as if your trauma were still going on. So when I think about that, though, and, and just kind of maybe the thinking behind that being like the starting point of the chapter is that in my mind um, that, you know, things like trauma kind of keep people stuck in a certain type of mindset or past or whatever. And so they're not able to really see their future self. Is that kind of what was the thinking even behind that quote or just kind of what's your take with trauma and kind of how it impacts personality? Dude, trauma impacts personality huge. Um, it's uh, what Vanderkolk would say, and he wrote the book, The Body Keeps the Score, which mm -hmm. kind of at this point is becoming the definitive book on the subject. At the point. Yeah. Um, you know, that trauma freezes your personality in the past because you had some negative emotional reaction and then you created what's called a cognitive commitment, which means essentially you formed an identity based on that experience. Um, and so, yeah, you, you're still seeing the past from the perspective of the event versus seeing, you know, seeing it pr from the perspective of a new present. Like, so as my, as an example for myself, um, you know, I, and I am very open and blunt about it, you know, my, about my own trauma in the past, but my dad was a very heavy drug addict when I was a young man. Um, but I guess the core point here is, is I would still be traumatized if I was still seeing the event as my 11 year old self. Um, but I don't need to see it that way. I don't need to interpret my experience as a 32 year old man, the same way an 11 year old experienced it. Uh, I can, obviously I've had to do a lot of work. I've had to face it. I've had to talk about it. I've spoken at length with my dad about it. I also recognize that my dad's not the same guy he was 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, he's a, he's a very different person. And, and so rather than being upset or angry at my past or at who my dad was, I can first off recognize I'm not the same guy. I don't need to interpret the experience the same way. My dad's not the same guy. I don't need to view him as the same guy. And I can now just better understand from a curiosity perspective, 
what led him to the decisions he made? Getting more context, because context is what shapes meaning and, and it's what shapes the meaning of content. And so for me, I had to just learn from my dad's perspective what led him to making those choices. And that allowed it, it allowed me to create a new meaning. And so I think the crucial insight from my perspective is, is that trauma is a meaning that's shaped through an emotional experience. And that when you change that meaning, you now have a lot more possibility. Um, and that we actually do own the meaning of our past, but a lot of people don't want to go back because of how emotionally difficult it was. But I think the core aspect of reframing traumas is about getting more context and ultimately choosing a new and more empowering meaning. From my perspective, being grateful for the experience rather than angry about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think the, I mean, the what's interesting is you're talking about because I just recently did the EMDR training. Uh, for trauma. And even when you're kind of really breaking that down and looking at it, I mean, that's essentially what is happening is you're kind of, you know, dealing with the trauma is you're, re you're, you're viewing it and reprocessing it through a more adaptive perspective, right? So like the perspective, like when we went through the trauma, the perspective as a 10 year old or a nine year old is very limited as far as like the meanings that they have and, and what they're able to kind of put onto it. So now looking back, and being able to have a little bit more perspective and understanding for things and context for things, you can reprocess those memories in a more functional, adaptive way. And so then, like I said, that takes on a different meaning. And so I'm able to then store it differently, which then frees me up in a, in a more hopefully productive way, right? So Yeah, I've heard someone say it in an interesting way where they said that, um, you know, and there's different levels of stress, but I've heard that trauma is uh, memory stored in what they would call like a beta state, like a high stress state, whereas when you reframe it, you reframe it from what they would call like an alpha state, where you're in a calm state, and you're reassociating the environment and reassociate. Um, but I would say it's not even just always kids. Like I've had plenty oh, yeah. of episodes. I've had, I, I mean, I've had plenty of episodes in the last six months that could have been traumatic and mm -hmm. had high potential to be traumatic. And I had to do the proactive work of creating the right meaning for the experience, which required me to take ownership of it. Um, like even just a few weeks ago, uh, I had an experience that could have ended a very important partnership of mine. Um, you know, something that I did two years ago, you know, essentially, so I'm in a uh, collaborative relationship with someone where we create books. And a few mm -hmm. years ago, uh, I created a training before I was really, you know, deep into that relationship. I created like a training in one of my online courses where I was covering some of their material and it ended up looking somewhat like I was doing an IP infringement um, where I was maybe overly talking about their ideas without, and even though I was providing, but anyways, I forgot about that thing that I had done like two years ago. Well, just a few weeks ago, some, one of their clients went through one of my courses and they saw it and they were, and they were kind of concerned. They're like, seems like Ben's like teaching some of your material in his courses. I had totally forgotten about it fully honest with you. Like this is like two or three years ago that I, over two years ago that I filmed it. Well, when I got, when I got that message, I didn't know what they were talking about. So I went back and I watched it and I was like, I can totally see the problem because the current me is a lot more mature and I've learned a lot in the last two years. And so I immediately removed it. But uh, uh, an initial reaction of mine was like, this isn't fair. Like, you know, and I wanted to defend myself, but instead of doing that, I just fully owned it. And I was just like, this is happening for me. Like I need to just learn from this. And we were also, I was able also to appreciate that I'm not the same guy I was two years ago. Um, but that could have been traumatic. And I think the only way it would have been traumatic in this case is if I would have ran from it and not actually just owned it, learned from it and turned it into something. And that's a little different from trauma, I think, that happens when you're a kid. Um, but I'm glad in this case that I owned it. But part of owning it was recognizing that I'm not the same guy I was two years ago 
and and um, doing what I needed to do to move forward and demonstrate that that I actually had learned the lessons and um, then honestly it totally healed the relationship there was nothing wrong with it because I took the needed action and I didn't hide from it and so I think that we can experience potential traumas all the time unless we take ownership of how we view it and I think a big part of that's recognizing the gains or the or the progress that you've made you know one of my favorite quotes comes from Hemingway Uh, Hemingway says that true nobility is not being superior to other people, but being superior to your former self. So um, I don't know if this is where this would tie in, but just looking at some of the other stuff in the book, is that kind of though what partly as far as that growth kind of had the difference between a fixed mindset and a growth mindset. I know you kind of refer to that in the book too. Is that where that fits in or is that something different or, you know, kind of having that growth mindset allows you to the cognitive flexibility to be able to, I guess, maybe adapt or even see those things in that moment in a different way, rather than maybe like from a, again, a fixed mindset would just would be more rigid or limited, or even again, maybe from those same, maybe not those same, but maybe from more of a fear standpoint where it's like, oh, what's going to happen? He's going to, you know, this is bad or whatever. Maybe it's something different, but I just that that was the thought that came to me. It's just like maybe the difference between the fixed and the growth mindset in those situations as well. Or I think that I think that that has a big part of it. Yeah, from my perspective, the major insight about the fixed and the growth mindset is is that generally people with a fixed mindset emphasize who they are in the present and in the past. Um, you know, so if something failed, you know, as an example, this episode happens. If I had a fixed mindset in that situation, I would be defined by what was happening to me in that situation rather than the idea that in the future, well, first off, fixed mindset wouldn't recognize change between their current and their former self. Um, But also they wouldn't have the belief that they actually could evolve out of their current situation. You know, like, so Carol Dweck had done a lot of research on little kids and when little kids fail some test, they don't think that they can actually somehow get over that obstacle the obstacle beats them. And so they're defined by their present skills, characteristics. And so, yeah, I think that in the case of myself and this experience that I'm describing, an event hit me, you know, and it was semi above my capability in the sense that like, it was tough for me to deal with emotionally. And I wasn't really sure how to handle it. But I think the growth mindset side of it is I know I can get around this and I can get above this and that I can grow through this. And that on the other side of this is a better version of me. And so, but in order to do that, I've got to, I've got to kind of own the situation and not be defined by where I'm at in this moment. Right. And so, so um, Carol Dweck talks about what she calls the tyranny of now, that people with a growth or a fixed mindset are stuck in the tyranny of now, whoever they are right now is who they're always going to be. Whereas growth mindset, they get to luxuriate in the power of yet. They're not there yet, but in the future, they will be able to either handle this or have successfully hurdled it. Yeah. Yeah. I love that uh, idea the power of yet. It's a, it's a great way to, to look at things. So um, just kind of, I know we kind of drifted away a little bit from trauma, but I just want to go back to it really quick. So when you talked about it in the book, as far as moving past trauma, like what are some of the things that you kind of give to people as far as like the, like, what do they need? Tools kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. What do they need for, for that? I mean, I think that uh, majorly, a few things. I mean, I think the two most powerful, well, there's a few powerful tools. I think one is journaling, just, you know, comfortably journaling about the experiences and being able to write freely about your experiences and also give yourself the space to maybe think differently in your journal about possible 
potential benefits. I think journaling is just, there's a lot of beauty in doing mm. that regularly. Uh, gratitude journaling, but also just writing about former experiences, kind of clarifying things. Um, obviously in, in the book, I talk about having an empathetic witness, which I think could be anyone. I think that's essentially a big aspect of what therapy is, is having someone there who can help you to, so the quote from Peter Levine from his book, uh, healing or waking the tiger healing trauma but he said that trauma isn't what happens to you it's what you hold on the inside in the absence of an empathetic witness I think that a big part of trauma is, is that it's obviously not out in the open it's kept hit, hidden secret mm -hmm. um, and so I think about the addiction concept that you're as sick as your secrets you know yeah. Uh, I think that that's true of your former self and your future self. I think we need to be very honest and open about the person we genuinely want to be. And also we need to be open and honest about what we've gone through. And sometimes obviously that takes extreme courage. And so sometimes it has to happen in a safe environment. But I think that that's a huge aspect of healing trauma is having open conversations about what you experienced, what happened, and being in a place where together you could co collaboratively create a new meaning. Um, where you can look at it from different perspectives. And it doesn't always have to obviously be therapy, although that's, a, I think, one one potential environment for that. Um, you know, one of my good friends, actually, who read the book, mm -hmm. he's been a friend of mine for about 10 years. And that chapter, that chapter is really important for a lot of people because a lot of people just aren't that informed on trauma. Um, yeah. But he read that chapter and he realized it led him to having a conversation with his parents. And this is someone I've known, you know, I, I served a church mission with him. So he was one of my companions on my mission. Then he's 32 years old now, not married, struggled. You know, and I knew when I was honestly working with him as a missionary that he was emotionally stuck in many ways. But when he read this chapter, in particular, the aspect of having an empathetic witness, um, he called his parents and he just said, I'm not looking for your advice. I'm just looking for an empathetic witness. I'm looking for someone to just listen to me without telling me what to do. And I just want to be heard. And so he was able to vo and they were very respectful. Uh, and they, and I also think that just as a side thought, we need to be empathetic towards our former selves and the former selves of other people. Um, in my case, being form, you know, empathetic towards my dad, his former self. But in the case of my friend, he needed to be empathetic towards the, the people that were his parents five, 10, 15 years ago, who he felt really hurt that him. And, um, but anyways, he ended up having a conversation and he said that he was able through that conversation to heal his relationship with his parents and which has removed a burden from him that he felt like he was going to have to carry for the rest of his life. And I think that what's one of the things he said though, in his conversation with me is, is that he has extreme compassion towards his former self. And I think that that's really a massive insight is that whoever your former self was that experienced the trauma, you're not that person anymore, but you can understand why it was hard for them and why they couldn't cope with it healthily or why they couldn't deal with it. But now you don't have to hold that anymore and you don't have, you know, you can, and so I, I think that yeah. conversations are a big way of doing that. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously going and having new experiences, building what's called identity capital, which is essentially confidence. That's another way of healing trauma is actually just making progress in your life. Um, but yeah, I think that those are the crucial aspects. Yeah, no, I, I really like that. I, de I definitely um, really, the, the empathetic witness and those things really stuck out for me too the, as importance. But I, like I said, just having that ability, the empathy for yourself. And I, I really liked what you said about that too. So, so kind of as you, we move through these different things, whether it be trauma, um, another chapter of the book that I really enjoyed was just the, the shifting your story aspect thing of, of, of it. Um, can you just give me a little bit of sense of like what that part was for you, just kind of the notion of shifting your story and the importance of that. 
Sure, man. Yeah, yeah what I think about it is is that um, your identity is the story you tell about yourself. Mm-hmm. And so, and that I think comes a lot from your future, but it also comes a lot from how you interpret and explain your past. And um, yeah, I think that we own the story. And so part of owning this, I think that this is just the next step from healing trauma is having a new narrative and explanation of what happened. Right. Well, and the, you kind of start out with the, the, the story of um, Buzz Aldrin, right? And kind of like what he went through and just sort of like how, you know, I guess he had this, this idea of like what his life would be, but it only was to a certain point. And then after he achieved that, it was kind of like everything just sort of fell apart, right? There was no envisioning past that one moment. Whereas, um, uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Antik- you know, how yeah, yeah. Giannis, yeah, 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 the Greek freak, that, that, that guy, um, you know, wasn't going to be defined by just this one achievement. It was always looking to the future and kind of like, you know, pushing, pushing beyond or maintaining kind of like this sense of, of, of progress. And so what, what part of that, I, I guess, is important to see, I mean, just the, like probably what I said, just maintaining that sense of kind of like seeing ourselves in the future and kind of continuing to progress rather than I guess, finding something that we achieve and then now we're just sort of done that, that like, what's the, I guess. Yeah. The key insight, I guess the key insight is, is that most people's narrative is based on the past, Mm -hmm. whether you've, whether you've, whether you're defined by a negative past or a positive past, you know, in the case of Buzz Aldrin, he went to the moon, like that's pretty successful. (laughs) Um, But that, but, but he was so stuck in his past that he had no future. And, and, um, you need a future. Everyone needs a future. In fact, Viktor Frankl, you know, in describing his experiences in Man's Search for Meaning, he talked about how only the people who had a positive future that they were stretching towards actually had enough meaning in the present to endure it. And so if you don't have a sense of purpose towards your future that you're striving for right now, if you're defined solely by you, where you were in the past, then your present is going to lose meaning. It's gonna, it, you're going you're gonna to be miserable even if your past was very successful, um, we need a future. Uh, Frankl actually said it's the peculiarity of man that he can only live by looking to the future. And so, yeah, I think that the story that we tell about ourselves should be based on where we're going, not based so much on where we've been. Um, Even if we've been in great places, um, if you don't have a future that you're striving for and seeking and stretching and evolving into, and if that's not, you know, so your behavior comes from your identity and your identity should be based on the future you're striving to create. And when that's the case, then you're actually having a lot of meaning and depth in your present. And so this is just an invitation to create your identity in towards your future self, not so much towards your past self. Mm-hmm. And I think when that happens, your present becomes a lot healthier. Your present becomes a lot better when it's stretching towards a future self that you want versus a former self that you've been. Yeah. Yeah. And I definitely, I mean, even see that with a lot of clients I work with too, just like, like kind of what, I mean, not necessarily, I mean, buzz, or yeah, Buzz kind of like, I mean, he achieved something very great, but then I think the quote in the book was like, you know, like, where do I go from here? Right. It's like, I've done this great thing. And now it's like, oh, you know, like what, what can top that type of thing? Whereas, I mean, that, that's not always what I see, but I think sometimes what you see people is like, oh, I've got my job. I've got whatever life's just what it is now. You know, it's like, there's nothing, they don't see anything really getting better. It's just kind of like status quo. Everything's kind of, you know, fine or, or whatever, but there's not this sense. And and I think that, that, that does cause 
cause, cause problems for people because there's just this stagnation that, that comes in and it, and it uh, I think it eats at us at some level. Um, but definitely I think it, it causes problems in the long term because there really isn't a lot of like maybe hope for the future or, or anything like that because it's just like, well, this is my life, you know, type of thing. And uh, yeah, anyway. You see it in people who retire. You know, they say mm -hmm. that retirement is like one of the fastest ways to kill yourself is because once you reach some stage where there's no, no future, unless you have something really meaningful in the future that now you can direct your energy and attention towards. Right. Um, I think that that's kind of, again, just a crucial insight is, is that human beings need a future. One of my favorite quotes from Dan Sullivan, who's the founder of Strategic Coach, he says that, um, you know, the only way to make your present better is by making your future bigger. But, but whatever, whatever view you have of the future is, I think, creating the quality of your present, um, emotionally, mentally, probably physically, but it gives you something consciously to direct your energy at. And if you don't have that, uh, then you're kind of just in a, like a no man's land psychologically. You just, you don't really, you're, you're maybe looking probably a lot to the past, but also you just, you don't really have anything that's keeping your brain activated and keeping you working towards something. And, 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 and I think that that's a really quick place to lose purpose, a sense of purpose and meaning. And so, yeah, I think that that, again, is just a further insight that at least in, you know, I don't know what it is about humans, but we need a future that is something that compels and, you know, all the research on motivation and hope say the exact same thing, that you need some form of compelling goal to direct your energy at. You need the belief that you can do it. You need to be developing the pathway to get there. And I think that that's, that's, I think what makes a meaningful life. And so yeah. Yeah. we all, we all need that. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So when it comes to meaning, I think there was, so in the book, like on the, the shifting your story part, uh, it talks about how meaning is shaped during emotional experiences. Uh, according to the famed psychologist, Dr. Roy Baumeister, meaning is a mental representation of the relationship between events or things. And then he kind of go into talking about uh, Dr. Crystal Park's work and kind of like how we connect that. Do you want to just talk a little bit about just the idea of like how do we kind of create meaning in our lives and how we attach that to different events? Do you want to just touch on that a little bit? Yeah, I, I just think that the main insight about that is is that uh, I would say that the more emotionally developed we become as people, the more, any I would call it emotional development and also emotional flexibility, you know, becoming comfortable with emotion, um, not being defined by the initial reaction that you had to an event, you know, mm -hmm. like, I, you know, we all have initial reactions to all sorts of events, you know, um, you know, the first time I tasted, you know, soda pop, you know, or whatever, whatever it was, you know, like, like as an example, my kids, you know, like they're very, some of them are super picky eaters, but they don't have to be defined by their initial reaction to a stimulus. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And so I think that meaning is about ultimately becoming flexible enough to look at it from different perspectives, looking at it from different angles. And ultimately, you know, the meaning that I give to various experiences or even anything, the meaning I give to this book may be totally different in five years from now, you know? Mm. And, and so hopefully I'm developing enough as a person by experiencing things, by opening myself up, by continuing to grow, that I can continue to give more enlightened and more mature meanings to all sorts of things. And so I just think that meaning is, is an ongoing process, but we are defined by the meaning we do give to things. Um, and hopefully the meaning we give to the uh, events of our past are different than the meaning we gave to them when we first had them. Um, you know, it doesn't mean we have to fully change, you know, change, but I think 
we are defined by the meaning. The meaning we give creates our identity. You know, the meaning creates identity and also creates your perspective of the whole world. And so, yeah, it's yeah. just our responsibility to ultimately look at what are the meanings we did give, which are maybe potentially limiting how I see things, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and I, you know, I give very big stories, but also small stories of that, you know, like I give small stories where it's like someone was told they're bad at, at drawing and, and, and the meaning that they gave to that was, is that they're no longer good at drawing. So they can't pursue their childhood dream of writing child's books. Um, but I also go all the way to the depths of, you know, the meaning you give if your child dies in an accidental situation that was kind of your fault. Um, what's the meaning you give to that? And so on, on all ends of the spectrum, um, it's kind of up to us to give meaning to our past and even our present, what we're going through right now. Right. So, you know, what's interesting about when I read this too, it was a little bit um, uh, validating because a lot of times when people come in and we're kind of talking about things that are similar to this, I'll draw on my whiteboard, I'll, I'll, I'll put the word situations and then draw an arrow to a question mark and then draw an arrow down to emotions and then an arrow over to the behavior that comes from that. And I think even about the idea of emotional regulation, if we're not very good at managing our emotions, a lot of times what people look at is they see a situation and then they immediately just kind of go to the emotions that are attached to that situation. And the question mark that they're forgetting is, is the, the, the important part, which is the meaning, meaning that they've, they've attached to that. And that's kind of how I draw it out for them. I think and it's then good. kind of once they make that connection, it's like, oh yeah, what did I, what meaning did I attach to that? And like you even said in the book, we do that. So it's instinctively that we don't even, we don't even like, it's not even really a thought, right? We don't recognize that we've attached some type of meaning to that situation. And sometimes that meaning, sometimes that situation, because it's maybe repetitive, the meaning's already there. And so then the emotions just kind of follow, the behavior follows. And so then when we understand, we can actually change the meaning because we can, you know, we, like you said, we can change kind of who we are and we're a different person and that, that all that stuff can be shifted. Then it seems like it opens up this whole new world for them. Like, oh, I don't have to keep acting this way, or I have the ability to kind of see this situation in a different way. And that, like I said, it kind of, maybe that's like part of the, um, the growth mindset that they're able to see it in, in a, in a different way. So then now I can, I can change that behavior or maybe those emotions that I've attached to it or those emotions I felt are just solely based on that meaning. If I change the meaning, then the emotions are going to be different too. So they will be different. Yeah. Um, yeah, because in my opinion, it goes event, meaning, identity, emotions, okay. behavior. Um, okay. You know, the identity that comes with the meaning that you created. And so, yeah, I think part of that is when, you, when you're unwilling to change the meaning, what it means is that you believe your perspective is objective and that it's correct. And I think that part of becoming more emotionally developed is realizing that your current view is not objective, it's subjective, and it's incredibly limited. Um, and that even though I have a different perspective than my former self, my current views are very limited. And that hopefully I can expand those views so that I can actually create better meaning. And I think expanding views is about getting context um, mm -hmm. and understanding and also owning choice, that it is my choice, whatever meaning that I do give to this with knowledge that whatever meaning that I do give, that's going to impact my options. My, my, it's going to impact my identity, which is going to impact my potential for my future. And so... I knew that just as one example, going into the episode I described earlier, I knew that even though it was emotionally rigorous, like, I mean, I, I did not want to write the email where I owned 
that I had made a mistake. I mean, it, mm -hmm. I actually talk about empathetic witness. I had to have like, like three or four conversations before I could muster the courage to send that email. But once I sent the email, I felt so free because I, I knew that um, I knew what that would do to my identity, you know? I, and so I think that it's kind of, it's, it's kind of a connection with the idea that you kind of have to want a better future for yourself in order to do this. Like if you're okay, if you're throwing the talent on your future, then you can continue to keep the meaning of your past that you've, that you developed initially. If you're, if you're fine throwing in the towel on your future, um, then you, then you can just keep your meaning, keep your objective perspective that that event was really bad and that it has to be viewed that way. But I think if you ultimately want a better future and you believe in, 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 even if you don't fully believe you can have it, you still at least want a better future, then it is required that you start looking at it from a different perspective um, and doing whatever steps you can to turn it into a, a, po a net positive versus a net negative. Yeah, well, it, I think the one thing about that too, that's really, as we've been talking, is kind of even more validating for, like I said, I just started doing this, the, the EMDR training. And one of the things that it does in there is a part of their, the phases of EMDR training in, in kind of revamping your trauma is they have a future template, you know, and the future template is designed to now, okay, how do you want to deal with this in the future? What do you want that to look like? So it is, it's taking everything that you're saying. It's like, it's doing the, the trauma work, reframing the story, reframing kind of like, you know, the way you see it, but then also putting it forward into, Hey, we don't want to just, you know, you don't want to just look at your life now as like, okay, that's okay. But now how are you going to be different in the future? So that to me, just talking to you kind of really makes that more powerful now, I think for me as a, as a tool, because it is using that, that positive psychology and kind of moving you forward to the future. Like you can be different in the future and you want to look to the future because things can, can be different. So that's, that's awesome. I think so. I yeah. think it's cool. I, I, I love that. And I think it's a crucial insight to realize. And I think that this is, uh, it's non-intuitive, um, mm -hmm. is the idea that your future self is a fundamentally different person than your current self. You know, I think the typical perspective and even cultural perspectives, but you know, our typical mindset is that who we are right now is pretty much us. Yeah. Um, but it's just not true. Your future self is going to be crucially different. You know, they're going to see things differently. They're going to have created very different meanings, <laughs> even about what you're currently experiencing. They'll see the world differently. They'll have different goals. And so I think beginning to just recognize that your future self is a different person. They've got different capability. They will be able to handle this situation differently. Um, they'll look at this experience differently, and but they'll also be focused on better things. They'll have overcome a lot of the stuff that you're currently dealing with. I think that seeing all of that, you know, I think is in essence a growth mindset, but it's also... Um, it allows you to not put so much stock in how you're feeling right now um, right. and in where you're at right now, you know? And I think that that it eliminates the fixed mindset, which is all about now, now, now. Right. Okay. So I think that's a good transition too. And I, I definitely want to be mindful of your time. And um, so you talk about the future self. So I know you're doing something right now with the future self program. Do you want to just tell the listeners about that? Yeah, sure. I created a 30 day future self program in the past. I sold it for $140, $147, but yeah, go to benjaminhari.com. Uh, if you thought that this conversation was cool, definitely just opt in. It's free. It's it, honestly, it's pretty in depth, um, but it's totally free. You'll get 30 emails, 30 training videos with journal prompts and stuff like that. It essentially just goes deeper and deeper into this book, personalized okay. component, but it's totally free. 
benjaminhurry.com is all you have to do is put your email in and you can create a login and get full access to this 30 day future self program. That's awesome. It. That, that, that's awesome. Anything else? Any, so benjaminhardy.com, that's where that's all the, it. In, One call to action. Okay. Keep it simple. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, I would just say that uh, benjaminhardy.com free future self program and, uh, Okay. And I'll put yep. that in. That's the, it. I'll put that all in the show notes as well too. So, but I really appreciate your time and coming on and talking about these things. It's definitely stuff I enjoy talking about and, um, and, and I'm glad just, that someone like you enjoys the book. Man. <laughs> right. 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 Well, again, th- appreciate your time. Uh, and, uh, we'll have to do this again sometime. Sounds good. Okay. Great. All right. I'd just like to thank my guest again, Dr. Benjamin Hardy for coming in and talking about his, New book, Personality Isn't Permanent. I think uh, there were some great things shared, some great insights about personality and how we can evolve and change and not be stuck in who we think we are and, and who we and what we think our personality is. So hopefully you got as much out of it as I did listening and, and doing the interview. It was it was great to talk and be able to share those things with you. Um, I thought today I just wanted to kind of close by a couple books or a couple quotes from his book. Uh, the first one is personality isn't permanent. It's a choice. Your personality can change in dramatic ways. The life of your dreams can eventually become something you take for granted. It's your new normal. Once you arrive at your wildest and most imaginative future self, take the confidence and faith you gain and do it again, but this time bigger and better. Life is a classroom where where you're we're here to grow. You're here to live by faith and design. You're here, you're here to choose. The choice is yours. Who will you be? Uh, again, just another great reminder about uh, our personality isn't permanent. We have the opportunity to choose and to change and evolve, and we just have to go out and make it happen and envision that in our future self. <clears throat> um, finally, I just wanted to share a quote that's in the book as well, but this is by Dr. Wayne Dyer, uh, another famous motivational guy in psychology. Uh, He says, you can choose the kind of personality you're going to have. It's not something you're stuck with. It's not something you have to have, even if you've never elected anything to the contrary. So again, uh, hopeful, positive things. We're not stuck. We're not stuck in the things that we do or or the ways that we kind of behave or our personality or any manner. It's just a matter of choice and working through things and being able to evolve and grow as people. Um, and not get hung up on those negative beliefs that this, we're just, again, just kind of stuck in this thing. So anyway, hope these things have been good for you. Um, before I close, I just want to uh, sign off. I guess I just want to say, remember, uh, you can email me at thebiggesttherapist at gmail.com. Uh, any questions or comments you have about the show, as well as join our Facebook group, uh, the Vegas Therapist Podcast at Ryan Winder. Um, go ahead and do that. And you can leave comments or discussions there as well. Also, too, please, uh, if you haven't done this, go on iTunes, rate the show, give it a review even. Uh, That would be great. It definitely helps the ratings as well as also, too, it gets it more exposure to other people, which is never a bad thing when we're trying to help people and give them an opportunity to grow and just improve their lives. So uh, that's all I have for today. This is the Vegas Therapist signing off. Till next time. We'll be right back.